It's the Vince in the Bay podcast. My guest this episode from Rhino Security Labs, Benjamin Caudill and Spencer Geetzen. Does that sound right? Yep. Yep. And uh, they're here to speak with me about a new report that was released by Spencer. It's a, a blog post on rhinosecuritylabs.com entitled AWS Privilege Escalation Methods and Mitigation. And uh, I want to thank both of them for joining me now. Absolutely. Thanks much. Yeah, thanks for having us. So let's start with Ben. Ben, you are the CEO of Rhino Security Labs, correct? Yeah, correct. Founder and CEO. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got into the security industry and eventually developing Rhino Security. Sure, absolutely. So I think like a lot of people who uh, ended up getting into security uh, didn't have any sort of formal uh, credentials or or any sort of degree that was that was particularly relevant, but had been you know tinkering with things uh, for for a long time. You know, as a as a kid growing up and so forth, and uh, found myself actually in uh, in college again, unrelated degrees, uh, but had been again, even in college doing a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. I guess we would kind of consider you know re- relevant skill sets or relevant experience, uh, doing some development, doing some networking. And, and just found myself more more inspired or more uh, kind of drawn to a more technical career than what I was, uh, I guess, kind of slated for at the time. Worked my way into uh, my first security role as an intern. It was actually an intern at, at Boeing. Uh, they gave me a, a great opportunity and and uh, joined there. Learned a lot. And you know, once you kind of get your foot in the door, everything gets a little bit easier. So I uh, leveraged that and picked up what I could. Uh, joined full time and. And uh, have been in cybersecurity ever since. Uh, incident response, forensics, uh, red teaming, security researcher, kind of uh, across the board. When did you develop Rhino Security? So we are uh, just about five years old, actually. Just coming up on, uh, on a five-year birthday for Rhino. Uh, so it had been... Happy uh, birthday, 20... by the way. Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah. Rhino is very happy about it. So it had been uh, about 2013. And why did you choose the name Rhino? Originally, myself and my my co-founder, actually, the two of us had been working on some of these ideas and this this research we were really uh, inspired by, and uh, for the longest time didn't actually have a, a name for the company, and finally decided that we needed to put this together. And you know, being the being the nerds that we were, uh, decided the best way to do this was to write a Python script, and we we're gonna we we're gonna combine a, a list of of words in in various uh, permutations. Uh, in in such a way that we would uh, essentially brute force the problem, and uh, w- I don't know, went went through a hundred different iterations and, and possible naming combinations until we found Rhino Security Labs that, that we we both liked, and and that kind of stuck. And uh, since you've launched this company, what are what's some of the uh, research that you specialize in with Rhino? Sure. So we are a boutique penetration testing and, and security assessment company. So entirely on the uh, offensive side of security, trying to identify where those vulnerabilities are, where, where the risks are by, by trying to break in, by, by trying to exploit them. So uh, all of our research, all of our uh, services, even what uh, clients are, are looking for is all about, again, how, how, do we, how do we break things? How do we exploit systems? Uh, you know, find, find vulnerabilities in, in various different types of applications and networks, you know, cloud infrastructure and so forth. 
so again, our, our research really kind of focuses on those sort of areas. Uh, we've done a number of things, uh, obviously about uh, AWS security uh, most recently. Uh, in the past, have released things around you know, Windows exploitation and PowerShell. Uh, we, we had a, a blog post earlier in the year and, and a re, uh, release, uh, kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it a zero day necessarily, but a, an, a, a pre, I guess previously unknown, uh, abusable feature within Microsoft Word uh, that allows you to, or uh, I guess allows you as an attacker to uh, attach some malicious stuff and, and be able to execute that on a person's system who opens the, the document. So, I mean, that, that's just one example, but we've done a, a number of kind of similar uh, offensive research projects uh, over the last five years. Got a lot of uh, interesting attention. I had a guest on a couple episodes ago, MG, who did um, mm-hmm. an experiment with uh, the Amazon Key systems. And yeah. apparently he based some of his research off of work that Rhino did, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was back in... Uh, October, November of, of 2017, just last year, uh, Amazon had come out with the Amazon Key, uh, basically a physical uh, physical security system. You install this as a in, into your into your home, into your uh, into your residence, and between the camera itself and the physical door lock uh, that you replace, it basically allows you to unlock your door and and you know see see what's happening in, in your home and all that. Uh, through a through a mobile app, uh, through an iPhone or, or Android app. So long long story short, we had found a, a, a series of uh, potential vulnerabilities and was able to actually leverage those to uh, you know, de- demonstrate how you would use this as an attacker to be able to, to basically break into somebody's house uh, using the Amazon key or using uh, vulnerabilities in the Amazon key and, and, and weaknesses in the infrastructure. Spencer, how about you? Tell us a little bit about uh, you and your how you got into the to the security research industry and uh, what you're doing now with Rhino. When I was younger, what really got me into computers was video game hacking, of all things. I uh, didn't know much about computers at all, but had a lot of fun doing that. And so I started to learn a couple of programming languages, uh, ended up taking some programming classes in high school for Java and uh doing some PHP on my own, took some college work, college courses, uh, different computer science fields to where I ended up at uh, Code Fellows in Seattle, which is a software development boot camp. I graduated from their full stack JavaScript program. From there, uh, I had just got on the AT&T Bug Bounty Hall of Fame, which uh, I guess Ben had heard about. And so that's how we got in contact there. Uh, this is cool. I have a Hall of Famer on my show. This is great. <laughs> Hall of Famer on the podcast. First Hall of Famer on the podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> so from there, I uh, met with Ben. He kind of guided me where to go in the security industry, what I needed to do if I wanted to start working in this field. And so I did everything he told me. Uh, ended up getting hired as a penetration tester. Starting there, we had to come up with a, a specialty and you know, I, I had a little bit of knowledge in AWS and had worked with it a little bit. So we decided that's something I, I should start focusing on. And so ever since I've been working here, uh, my, my main focus has been Amazon Web Services. Your blog post that, that uh, you posted at rhinosecuritylabs.com about AWS privilege escalation methods and mitigation. 
Um, before we get into that, let's just get up to speed here on what AWS is exactly. It's Amazon Web Services. And now I don't use Amazon Web Services, at least not knowingly. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have an account or anything like that. I'm sure I visit sites that use Amazon Web Services. How about giving uh, us a brief primer on AWS and how prevalent it is in use on the internet? Yeah, so basically Amazon Web Services is uh, cloud infrastructure for companies to you know, move their on-premise networks, applications, environments uh, to the cloud so they don't have to handle the physical side of uh, managing all that, uh, you know, releasing a lot of different work for uh, different engineers to no longer worry about the hardware and more so worry about or put that to, into the hands of Amazon. So instead of having like your own server and all that stuff, you Amazon takes care of all that backend stuff and you just kind of log into an online client and manage your content that way. Is that the idea? Yeah. And they've got a, an API opened up and it, it allows you to interface with all those devices as if you do own them completely, but they manage, uh, you know, uptime and all the things that you don't really like, you don't necessarily need to worry about anymore. And so now that, that, uh, people are putting all their trust in Amazon and their cloud systems and stuff, this obviously introduces new security issues. The massive size of AWS, there's so many different configurations and settings that, you know, you need to get right or certain attacks can happen against you. And so I am, uh, Security or identity and access management, uh, AWS IAM. That's the main service that this privilege escalation targets as that manages all users' permissions, uh, how they can interface with the different services that AWS offers. And so the goal of the blog post is discussing methods that you can, as an AWS user with limited permissions, escalate those privileges to a higher level. The idea is, you know, abusing a service that's offered or a, you know, some function that AWS offers and using it to somehow add permissions to your level, like your set of permissions. And uh, so there's 21 different ways described in the blog post. Uh, six of those are packed into two that are numbered. And so it, it says there's 17, but I guess technically there's 21 different methods here. There's permissions that allow you to interface with other users' permissions or uh, you know, allowing a service a certain amount of permissions, such as uh, method number three. So, hang on, let me catch. I'm I'm, I'm following uh, here along at home. Um, okay. Oh uh, yes, of course. Method number three: creating an EC2 instance with an existing instance profile. Uh, an EC2 instance, you know, basically just a, a server. A lot of times, applications that they're hosting need access to the AWS API. So instead of hard coding credentials onto the into your code or something like that. Uh, AWS offers service that you can pass a role. That's what, what it's called. Uh, you pass a role and that role has a certain level of permissions to which now that server or EC2 instance uh, has access to those permissions. So it's, it's mainly if, okay, your website needs to interface with CloudWatch for logging or, uh, you know, interface, create, other EC2 instances just inter interface with the AWS API as if it was a, a person, basically. So for this specific method, 
the way they do it is creating they create uh, temporary credentials for that role and basically what this method does is creates an ec2 instance and passes it a role that potentially has permission is that the current user doesn't but because that user was able to create the server create the ec2 instance uh, they're now able to access the temporary credentials for that role and gain those privileges also reading this uh this post it says that you have also developed a, a scanning tool to identify all these vulnerabilities tell me about that just uh, i wrote a script for this that uh what it does is it either collects the permissions for the, the current user you're running uh, the script against so you pass it in uh, your access key id and secret access key uh, your api credentials and what it does is it figures out what permissions you have and then compares them to my list of privilege escalation methods to see what methods are possible for you to escalate. And once again, this is Spencer, Rhino Security Labs, along with Benjamin, and we're talking about AWS privilege escalation. What's been the feedback so far from the uh, information security community is regarding this uh, this post that you put out and the, and the tool associated with it? Yeah, the, the feedback, the response has been phenomenal. There's a number of other, uh, I would say, similar tools out there uh, that identify potentially weak uh, AWS privileges. But I think what's what's really standing out here, and what's what's particularly unique about this, and and some of the other posts that we've we've uh, provided, is really is, is really demonstrating the impact of that, uh, and and what those specific privileges are in those specific services and and configurations and so forth that can actually be exploitable. Uh, this is kind of the difference we see with uh, at, at a higher level between maybe like vulnerability scanning or, or an, an audit and actually doing a penetration test is by by identifying the impact, by actually exploiting it and, and seeing how far you can go uh, with with a particular risk. You're again kind of putting some some tangible, uh, tangible association or tangible risk behind that. You can um, you know, more clearly communicate that to others and. And you're really demonstrating why that's why that's important, right? Paku. That's what it's called. Paku. Yeah, yeah. Paku. What? It's uh, named after a piranha that lives in the Amazon. Excellent. Yeah. Paku will be publicly released as an open source project early 2018. Oh, so it's not even released yet. Uh, Paku is, as you mentioned there, the uh, open source uh, exploitation framework we're uh, we're developing for AWS. Uh, oh, these are two for... separate things. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, sorry. okay. Let's differentiate. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Let's yeah. let's please differentiate between sure. Paku and the scanning tool. So the scanning tool that was mentioned there, the uh, AWS uh, escalation tool, uh, that's freely available. You can download that and and you know, test your own account today. Um, we have it. We have the the link on the blog. Uh, but yes, the the GitHub is freely available. Uh, separate from that, we will also be releasing you know, this this type of research uh, and, and these types of attacks uh, are all actually being built into a, a separate tool or a separate framework that we're building called Paku. Paku is a AWS uh, exploitation framework uh, for penetration testers and, and cloud security engineers uh, identifying those potential areas of, ta- uh, of attack, the, the vulnerabilities in their AWS configuration and and actually allowing you to uh, exploit or leverage those potential issues 
again, to identify and, and demonstrate where those risks are. Uh, Paku, again, we have a, a beta between between now and, and Vegas, between now and you know, Black Hat DEFCON. Uh, beta is open now. Again, link is is down there in the in the blog, or we can send it to you directly. Uh, yeah, we're getting getting feedback from a, a handful of of uh, major users in the AWS security community, uh, getting feedback again, building new attack modules. Uh, we'll have uh, upwards of fifty modules, uh, kind of attacking different services, different configurations uh, by the time we release. So we're we're pretty excited about about actually getting this into the, in the hands of users before the actual release itself. Um, I, oh, I actually I, go I, ahead. I just, yeah, go for it. Go for it. So um, we've got a couple of upcoming blog posts before the release of Paku uh, around some more AWS security that security research that I've been doing. Um, one of those includes a tool that we're going to release that it's a vulnerable by design AWS environment. And the idea behind this is to help people test Paku and help people understand what it's for, what it does, uh, and the impact it can have. So you can run this vulnerable environment, uh, run the script I wrote. Uh, it'll create the resources in your AWS account uh, to which it will create resources that have corresponding modules basically in Paku. And so you can run every module in Paku and get valid results uh, and understand the impact of the different modules there. Cool. Ben, you described Rhino as a boutique security firm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are some of the challenges in running a, a, a smaller sized firm? You know, running entrepreneurships, uh, starting a starting a business is you know always, always has a, a little bit of a reputation of, of being pretty pretty tough. I would say even that that, that in mind, it's much harder than it sounds. <laughs> so, so there's there's always new challenges, always new problems. Uh, and many of those, at the same time, you, you can't really fully anticipate until you're actually in that situation, things that you never uh, thought you would necessarily need to, uh, to to tackle or to do. But again, I mean, it, it's it's very much a, a labor of love. It requires a lot of, of passion and energy. And um, yeah, I've been very, been very fortunate. We have great clients, uh, great employees. You know, uh, Spencer and the rest of the team have been uh, phenomenal. Um, yeah, owe, owe a lot to the to the clients and and to the employees themselves. This research we're talking about um, uh, today. Now, is this something that you commission internally? Is this something that Spencer just kind of develops on his own and gets the gr- green light for, or is it something that a client comes to you with, or is it is it like a problem that you find cropping up and you just kind of go off on a into the research how does what's the genesis how does it start sure sure so so a lot of the research that we do and, and this isn't always the case but a lot of the research we do is really based around what are we seeing uh clients concerned about right what, what are the things that they actually need uh and and what is what, what's what's missing out there right what, what are the things that are, are are needed and and those those needs are being unfilled uh, this is uh, AWS security research is one of those things that we've seen uh, pretty significantly over the last year. A lot of our clients have this need or are using the platform. And, uh, and so, so we're very often kind of uh, fielding this, these series of questions around, you know, what, what happens to my environment if my, my keys get compromised, right? There's been a number of uh, AWS breaches. Uh, Uber was one. 
there, there was a couple of others that, you know, through some means, those keys were compromised and, you know, it was, it was devastating to the company. So we got a lot of clients that were very concerned about that. All right. You guys are both in the security industry. You've been in information security for a while, obviously. What are some of your, let's start with Spence. Let's no, let's start with Ben first. What are, what's one of your major pet peeves with the uh, information security industry? Sure. Yeah. So I would say uh, pet peeves. So one is uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, the legislation and the, uh, sometimes even the politics around cybersecurity can be uh, very, very misunderstood, very, very destructive. And, and some of the laws that are being uh, proposed or being put out there uh, have a lot of, you know, even with, even with good intentions, have a lot of, you know, technical impacts and, and very serious security issues or, or you know, security uh, symptoms that many of the legislators, many of the people that are proposing them uh, don't fully don't fully understand or, or don't fully, uh, I guess, com- comprehend. They don't, they don't have the technical background to be able to see what those see what the, the symptoms actually are, what, what, the, uh, what the ramifications of those laws could be. And maybe even expanding further, I think the, the, the misinformation or the, the, the uh, misunderstanding of, of, of how security actually works and, and maybe even who's responsible for that is another one that just generally kind of uh, is, is a bit of a pet peeve, something we're constantly having to uh, educate people on and, and, or maybe even correct people on in, in their thought process and their approach. Uh, again, AWS environments uh, beating the dead horse. Uh, another one that very often we talk to clients or, or people who are responsible for their environment and they give some sort of response like, you know, my, I, I don't, I shouldn't have to worry about this or I don't have to worry about this because, you know, Amazon has it secured, right? They're, they're not going to have a breach. Therefore, I'm not going to have a breach. And that's, again, not, not how it works, right? They, they are, uh, Amazon is responsible for the, the infrastructure itself. They'll give you kind of the, the building blocks to build what you want. But if you uh, if, if you build it incorrectly, or you, you build with the the configurations that makes it susceptible to attack. Uh, that's that's on you, right? And and so that's that's one of those things that we we constantly have to educate clients on and 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 talk to different users who many times we would you know hope kind of has this mentality already. Uh, so that, that that's another thing that uh, that I I feel is is lacking in the industry in a lot of different ways. That's great. Uh, Spencer, pet peeves or a pet peeve? Hmm. It's a tough question, really. You've had about five minutes to think about it while Ben was answering, <laughs> dude. Well, I, one thing that comes to mind, I guess, in it relates to the security community in general and not so much to my job specifically, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, bug bounty programs. Uh, I have... Those are a little frustrating. You know, it's a great idea. I love the idea of, uh, well, and I've participated in quite a few myself, but uh, I like the idea that companies are opening up their their doors, basically, and accepting security research from independent researchers, uh, except for the fact that there's quite a bit of shady behavior going on, or to some extent, to you know, I've had multiple cases of on my own where report a bug and you never hear anything back from the company, but then it's fixed the next week and you know, you don't get 
you don't get the recognition or anything that was promised as part of their program. And there's plenty of stories online, similar stories where, you know, a really severe vulnerability was reported to a company and they, they have on their page, oh, we pay $10,000 for this kind of vulnerability, but instead they don't respond and they fix it privately, act like it was never reported through there or say something like, oh, uh, yeah, it's already been reported to us. Sorry, you don't qualify. And, you know, it seems like there's not much you can really do to regulate that, I guess, but a lot of dishonesty in that field, I, I feel like. Hard to keep uh, bug bounty providers themselves uh, accountable for that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. On the other side of the coin, what's something about the information security industry that makes you happy, that you're excited about, that you're encouraged by? I'll start this one off, I think. Uh, okay, Spencer, go for it. <laughs> something that I really love about the community is the open source software idea where, you know, everybody's releasing security research and tools and projects with the full source open to the public, allowing anyone to edit, add to it, and do different things they want to it, just like we're planning on with Paku. Uh, I think it, it really advances the industry as a whole. Uh, you get an insight into other people's projects that you might not otherwise if they were monetized or private, held private without ever being released. Cool. And Ben? Uh, something I'm I'm particularly encouraged by, and, and honestly, I, I can appreciate this more almost, almost every day, uh, that the security industry, and really to a degree technology or, or uh, digital technology as a whole, you can, as... As someone new coming into the field, you can go a very long way without any sort of formal resources or very, very little formal resources, uh, you know, self-education and, you know, internet access. You, know, you can be a pretty, pretty good developer, a uh, pretty good security engineer. You, know, you, you can do a lot with, uh, with, with just that in itself. Um, it's it's stunning the number of people that we talk to who you know are are applying for for developer positions or, or pen test positions, uh, whatever that is that they they have no have no formal degree uh, they you know have no you know, formal training but you know they've been doing this sort of thing for you know the last ten years on their own and you know, regardless of what they're doing today uh, they're they're a great fit they're a great hire um, and so. Uh, we, we do actually tend to see a, a lot of those cases. And, and again, it's, it's very encouraging to me that you can, you know, come into cybersecurity and, and again, with a, with a little bit of grit and, and, and determination, you can learn just about anything. Uh, you know, when you can compare that to some more regulated industries, right, you can't exactly do that with, you know, medicine. You can't, can't, can't learn, uh, can't you know, self-teach medicine and, and suddenly become a doctor. So mom, I'm a brain surgeon now. I was on YouTube. I was on YouTube last night. I was on YouTube last night and I can perform brain surgery now, mom. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but I mean, in a, in a very real way, you know, uh, we, we talk, we talk to people who, you know, for the last, uh, five years have been working in, in it support or, or have been at a help desk or something, but are, are again, just very capable been doing this on their own time. And, you know, they come to talk to us and, you know, two weeks later they're a hacker. So. You know, there, there's exceptions to the rule, but you know, that, that certainly that, that does happen in the industry. And uh, that's, that's always very encouraging, uh, very, very optimistic about those sort of developments. Yeah, I think it's great that anybody can self-teach themselves and, and jump into technology in pretty much any 
way, shape, or form as long as they just put in the time and use the free, for the most part, free resources on the internet. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty, pretty cool how people can just pull themselves up by the bootstraps like that and learn skills online and not have to go to school necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Ben and Spencer from Rhino Security Labs, thank you for joining me on this episode. And before we go, uh, let's figure out how we can stalk you on the Internet. Ben, uh, you, are you on Twitter or, 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 or do you just have Rhino Security Labs? How do we find you? Uh, yeah, through through Twitter. I, I actually do not have a... Uh, a personal Twitter. Good for uh, you. Good for you. I'm impressed. As long as possible. Yeah, exactly. But Rhino Security Labs has has a Twitter feed, right? Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, at Rhino Security is uh, is the handle there. Excellent. And Spencer, how about you? Uh, so I've got my I've got my Twitter. Uh, it's at Spen Geets. So that would be S P E N. G I E T Z. Correct. Spend Geets. <laughs> Geetsen. I got it right. Yeah, you did. Geetsen. That's oh, easy. It rolls off the tongue. No problem. <laughs> um, and uh, oh, and if we want to, f- and uh, the website is rhinosecuritylabs.com, and that's where you can see Spencer's blog on AWS privilege escalation methods and mitigation, and it has info in there on the scanning tool and the as you said it's the beta release yeah for apaku yeah absolutely excellent well i look forward to uh talking to you again soon and hopefully running into you in vegas at summer camp yeah look forward to it all right thanks guys appreciate it absolutely thanks much ben have a good one thanks a lot thanks for listening to this episode of the vince of the bay podcast You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Check out my blog at vincentthebay.com and hit me up on Twitter at Vincent the Bay. Until next time, ciao.